You know um, right. The podcast that uncovers the origin stories of some of the biggest names in sports, media, and entertainment. Nick Thirst here along with Joe Calabrese. And Joe, I'm very excited for our guest today. It's harder to lock him down than it is to get into Fort Knox, but we finally got him on the podcast. And you can let everybody know who we have with us here today. Yeah, we're very fortunate. We've gotten to know a lot of people in the fantasy sports betting uh, sector sphere. Uh, somebody who's done that for a really long time in multiple uh, capacities as a writer, uh, as a host. Uh, he's landed at places like ESPN before, certain for the Wall Street Journal, uh, most recently for The Athletic and Cup of Coffee, hosting shows for the, our company now, the Better Sports Network. So we're happy to have him on. And yes, we get, we're able to pin him down. Uh, Nando. Oh, sorry, sorry guys. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> How are you, Nando? Got a lot going on. Everything's great. How are you? We're doing Can't well. Complain. Can't complain. Great, man. Awesome. Now that we got you on the podcast, we're going to a whole new level. So we're very excited. Hopefully, this puts us over the top. As our viewers know, we were nominated for the best sports business podcast by the Sports Pod Group, going against some heavy hitters from your company, The Athletic as well as the New York Post and whatnot. So we're definitely going to get clobbered in there, but it's the nomination that counts. So groundswell. Get a a groundswell, man. You'll be fine. We'll see. So you, of course, spend a lot of weekends in Staten Island, New York, which is where we are both from. And that's because your wife is from Staten Island. So curious, as somebody who never really frequented Staten Island beforehand, how you and your wife met and how you got integrated with the style and culture over the years uh well we met uh i was working at court tv at the time um and uh someone came over from she was working at cnn someone came over from cnn and uh it wasn't even me it wasn't even her actually it was a dude i worked with he's like oh you'd really like her friend jj i'm like all right cool introduce and so uh her friend did and uh that was basically it like you know we hit it off went on a couple dates you know you know you know um Staten Island my, my Staten Island experience is interesting because we don't do much you know we're like old-fashioned Italians so yeah, uh it's Sunday basically dinner. like go yeah go to the house Sunday dinner like on the way I, I hit Manor Bagels I get some of the bagels we got Donut World get some of the donuts uh they're all in that little area there like uh so yeah I could do it I could Manor Manor I don't know if you guys know Manor Bagels at all but like it is my favorite place in the world <laughs> love it Nick we got to take uh Nando around it's then out one day to eat elsewhere because restaurants and the places to get Italian food on Staten Island, believe it or not, very good. Some of the best places uh, in and around the tri-state area. So what Staten Island does very, very well, it, for sure, is food. You know, Chris Vaccaro would not shut up about Lee's Tavern forever. I've never I just, been there. I recently... Nick has never been to Lee's Tavern. He, he's not a real Staten Island guy. You got to be good. You got to go to Lee's. Yeah, Nick, seriously, man. Come on. Everybody buy the sneakers. I bought him a pair of the sneakers for his birthday. And the other move that people usually make... Which is Joe another, did not spoil on air. Thank you. Well, we won't do that. But the other move that people usually make is uh, because Ralph's is super popular uh, and because this restaurant, Danino's, is uh, they're right down the block from each other uh, in Port Richmond. That's another move that people make. So um, Ralph's a lot is of overpriced. Staten Islanders... Yeah, no, I agree. Ralph's is overpriced. Lee's is like a typical bar pie, so it's good. But we got to take Nick there one day. And uh, if you ever have the opportunity to hit up, then he knows it's pretty solid. All right. I'm in. 
right, there you go. Thank you. Thank you, pal. So uh, you attended Boston College uh, studying history. Now, unfortunately, all my really great friends went to school right down Commonwealth Avenue. They went to BU. Nice. Awesome. Um, <laughs> big time rivals. Uh, but but talk about uh, attending BC. I was cool, man. Like I grew up in Syracuse. And so like BC was always like a, a big East rival. They weren't like Georgetown or St. John's or anything, but, you know, they were kind of like a mini rival. Um, so it actually, it was kind of rough. Like I was, I think my first year at BC was Donovan McNabb's senior year. And I mean, you grow up, you know, 16, 17, well, I guess 15, 16, 17 years old, cheering for Donovan McNabb in college, like running the triple option. It was very hard for me to switch loyalties like that, like to, to all of a sudden cheer for Boston College. Uh, so that was a tough uh, freshman year for me sports wise. I didn't care about hockey, but like, you know, like our hockey team was amazing. We were running championships at the time. Um, so yeah, it was, it was an odd. I mean, I had a blast. I loved it. But it was kind of odd, like from the angle of like switching loyalties just because I go to the school now. Um, by the time I left, you know, you get classes with a lot of these guys like, oh, you're really cool. I like you, you know, like whatever. So it was easier as it went along, but like right out of the gate, like BCSU was like right before Halloween. And I'm kind of like, like, what am I going to like, I'm just going to stand here and not say it or do anything. I'm just going to watch. <laughs> and so, you know, but it was fun. I liked it. It was cool. We had a lot of scandal at BC when I was there though. Like two separate big things such as life. Such as life. Nick always asks this question. So I got to ask, we have a lot of people communications people, journalism people, media people on, they attend Syracuse. So they go from likely being in an area that's warmer to an area that's brisk and unbelievably cold. So what was it like growing up there? Oh man, I loved it. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't exchange it for like the snow, whatever. Like, you know, like you build some character. I was like, I'm, a, I'm an amazing, like right now when it snows, I'll shovel the entire block and not, you know, like break a sweat. Like, I just love it. I don't know if it reminds me of my childhood or what, but uh, I just like, like, are you going to get a snowplow, you know, if you're driving? I'm like, no, man, I'm going to shovel it. Like, of course, like, I'm, what do you mean? Am I going to snowplow? Um, and, you know, the summers are really like hugely underrated, beautiful, like nice and hot during the day, you know, clear, sunny skies. And then at night, like the temperature dips down to like, you know, maybe sometimes the 50s or 60s and, you know, open window kind of weather. Um, you know, you just get a lot of snow, but like snow's fun, man. Like, would you rather just have it like be 40 and like rainy? Or do you want snow? The plows come out immediately like that. Like they're so used to it. They just come out like that. So the roads are fine. Like you're rarely finding a day in Syracuse where you can't drive on the roads. So I don't know. No, no school closures in Europe, right? Eight feet of snow, go to school. They, put, they clear the roads. We had, so we, we had some of those. We had the two hour delay. Uh, but yeah, like it was, you know, a normal place would close school with like four inches. And we're like foot and a half. Like, no, come to school, man. What are you, what are you thinking? So it happens, but it did. We, we got some days off. It wasn't so bad. Just like the movie Snow Day, right? You ever see it? It was from Syracuse. That took yeah, place in Syracuse. That's what I'm saying. And they re apparently they remade it, which I didn't know. They, I don't know why you would remake Snow Day, but they I did. Don't know. It's terrible. They remake everything though. That it is what it is, I guess. Yeah. So uh, going from BC, get your master's uh, closer to Nick and I at Fordham. So how was that? Yeah. That like. Forum was great, man. Like, uh, I love it. Like it was, you know, I was working at the time. And so, you know, I'd work, I'd go to school, work, go to school, work, go to school. But like, it was, uh, it was a good program. It was good. I mean, like, you know, Fordham's great. I was, I was Rose Hill up in the Bronx. So I would hit up a lot of the restaurants there, a couple of the bars, you know, I'd, I'd go to, and by my 
so it's a two-year program the second year my brother started fordham as an undergrad so i got to hang out with him a bunch and you know we'd go do some things you know it, it was nice so yeah i liked fordham a lot fordham i almost went to undergrad um so i guess that was my missed opportunity i made up for grad school wise so undergrad and grad school you're a history major studying history so what kind of career path were you looking to go down and initially when you first started working there what kind of jobs are you doing uh so i was gonna go be a lawyer actually i was gonna do uh i was like gonna i think like towards the end so you know everyone goes to college like i'm gonna be a doctor so i was a bio major for my first year at bc and i'm like no i'm not gonna be a doctor um i didn't like the guy like i don't know just didn't feel it so i switched to history because i was really good at history um and like you know like i was a good writer and stuff but like i didn't you know why would that be your major if you're already good at it so uh anyway i liked history a lot i like the research angle of it so uh i was doing a lot of research assistant jobs um which i guess drew into like the bio thing too like i just like researching like digging things up and like i used to love going to like the library and just like pounding out these books and making copies of crazy stuff that like you know my my thesis was on the, the history of Armenian immigration, like stuff like that, like, you know, why things play out the way they do and how you get set on a course that, you know, was just a matter of circumstance for like two years. Um, anyway, I don't know. That's really intriguing to me. So uh, I was looking at, you know, research assistant jobs. Um, and I like the first job I got was Fantasyland. It was a research assistant for Fantasyland. But uh, when I was in BC, I was a research assistant on a book about a uh, there were these professors who were the guys who figured out that Dracula was really based on Vlad the Impaler. Uh, you know, and so like they did another book that was called like In Search of Jekyll and Hyde, where they tried to trace the inspiration for Jekyll and Hyde to this guy named Deacon Brody in Scotland. And so I was a research assistant on that book. And then I'm like, this is really awesome. Like the research assisting and then like the book stuff was fun. Um, so I kind of fell into that path, which was really, I thought, I thought very cool, I thought. But yeah, I ditched my lawyer dreams. Uh Oh, man, I can't like, I think right before I went to Fordham and like, screw it, man. Yeah, I'm going to do research. I'm going to get that history masters and like roll with that. Maybe I'll be a teacher. We'll see, you know, do some books on the side, stuff like that. That's, you know, that was a cool path. Um, yeah. So yeah, every like two or three years, I'd be like, there was this, there was this program at Bryn Mawr College that you could finish your bio degree in like a year and a half and then take your MCATs and go to, and I was still like, you know, maybe I should do it. And always something uh -huh. would just always happen. I'm like, nah, nah, not going to happen. So, so you mentioned Dracula, new Jack Dracula movie coming out with Nicolas Cage, which looks horrifying, but you're a big history guy. I'm a big history guy as well. We got a big historical event coming up here in a few weeks. We're recording this in April, but it's going to happen in May. The coronation, the British Empire, the sun never sets on the British Empire here. Are you going to be keeping an eye on this at all? Do you care about the royals at all whatsoever? No, I think it'll be cool. Like, you know, so I bought the top set of uh, the Royal Wedding when that happened. Oh, wow. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, like, I like the com like the commemorative stuff. I don't think I'm going to be, you know what it is, Nick and Joe, is that people, like, make such a big deal out of it now that I'm just like, I'm sick of it by the time it rolls around. You know, like, everyone's talking who know nothing about it. Um, You know, like, when the Kentucky Derby comes around, everyone's a horse expert. You know, like, it's All just right. like. It's just so annoying that everyone's such an expert and, oh, I'm so, I'm so into the royal family. Like, by the time it comes, I'm like, you have no idea or any sense of this history. So I'm just sick of it. And just, you know, as a personal protest, I'll probably stay away from it and read yeah. about it later, um, I guess. We'll try to stay away from it, but it's going to be on every network, most likely. And you'll have... 
That's what I'm saying, man. Like, you know, like people push Hager, be talking about- Hoda. I mean, they're gonna be like as if they're so involved, all these newscasters. It's gonna be but we'll I want to see if maybe there is a new top sec that's gonna come out from this. I wouldn't be surprised. Leaf, Leaf will do it. Leaf's been doing a lot of that stuff. All right, something to stay tuned to. So you mentioned doing the researching for the book fantasy land, kind of really, I guess continue to spark your interest in writing. You already, going into college, you liked writing. You liked the whole aspect of it. You kind of recumbed with it there. And then you continue along those lines, doing editing and writing for Talented Mr. Rota, which then led to you making some appearances on ESPN. With ESPN there, you are making appearances, writing and stuff. So we do our research as well, just like you as the research yeah, I guess so, expert. <laughs> yeah. So tell us about that time in your career there where you're kind of breaking into this fantasy space which previously really had not been something that you would see on your tv or you'd be able to read about too much yeah exactly at the time it was uh so the book featured matthew berry who i think when we started the book this was 2004 was still at roto world and then he started talented mr roto and i don't know what it was like i think maybe he liked the emails i wrote or something Thing, but he's like, hey, like, why don't you come write for Talented Mr. Roto? And I think I was writing for Talented Mr. Roto while we were still finishing up the book. Um, but yeah, so like, uh, that's that's I hooked on with Barry, uh, went into Talented Mr. Roto first as a writer, and then it, like he brought me up to like editor as a psych. I mean, I think by the time like a year later, we had like 40 or 50 people, um, writing for the site. Barry, like, it hadn't gotten bought by ESPN yet, but uh. I had gone on ESPN for Fantasyland. Like the guy who wrote the book, Sam Walker, was going on, and he asked the producer, like, "Can I bring Nando one time?" Like, maybe you know. And he's like, "Yeah, sure." So we did it, and I guess the producer liked me, and so like you know, when Sam couldn't do it, I'd jump in for him and give fantasy advice, and then it just worked out well because Barry was doing it, uh, and so they had just had another person from Talented Mr. Roto. Um, it was cool, man. Like I never really like I didn't I wasn't pursuing TV or video stuff. I don't I don't know whatever. Um, at the time I was working court TV still, I think for the, the second half of the ESPN stuff. So I was, I was a producer, man. I was behind the scenes. Like you get to see like what people like, just like they want to be on so bad. And you're like, man, like just give it a rest. Want <laughs> TV for two minutes. And that's like the crowning achievement of your life. Um, but anyway, it would just work out well. Uh, I'd go on and give some fantasy advice. You know, they ask questions. I was in a little room. They set me up at this place. I didn't have to go to Bristol. They set me up at this place in New York. Um, Man, it was called like, oh man, it was like Studio 37 or something. It was just this live, a live shots place. Oh. Um, was it going, like where they did like cold pizza and the morning shows back then? The same building? No, it, it wasn't an ESPN. It was, not, they rented it out basically. Or like oh. they paid, you know, so it was a satellite, like a satellite yeah. live shots company basically. Um, you go in, you'd say hi, they'd put you in this room, they'd mic you up, they'd mic check you. Uh, and like, hey, just sit here for like 15 minutes. So you just hang out and like, you know. This is before like phones and stuff, you know, like phones, but like not like smartphones. So right. you just kind of stare off into nothingness. You bring a book or something and, you know, kill some time. Um, they're like, all right, you're coming up. Like, all right, you know, you had your IFB in and uh, you'd come up, you'd do like 15 minutes on the ESPN news, the ES, the, the, the fantasy 350, they called it. Um, and that was it. You know, they, they tell you obviously the players ahead of time so I could do my research. Uh, and then, you know, all right, thanks everybody. See you later. And I'd walk out. I'd, baby wipe my makeup off and i'd uh go back to work basically that was it was cool like it was fun it was kind of like a little secret mission where you'd go off and you'd be on espn news and you know i'd tell my parents that if they were out somewhere that you know make the make the restaurant put on the tv so they could see it and stuff but 
it was, it was, it was cool. It was fun. Um, so yeah, so that's how that started. And then when Barry sold the site to ESPN, I'd start doing more like I'd go up on Sundays for like the Sunday shows in the off season, um, which was cool. Going up there is like something else, man. It's really like, it's a very cool place. So when did you start playing fantasy sports and which fantasy sports did you like playing the best? I uh, started football when we were sophomores in high school. Uh, dude quit a league that they had going for a couple of years. Um, and this is like, you know, like everyone talks about the old days where like they print out the results and stuff and you had to call in your lineup on a phone. Uh, but that's what that one was. That was on the cusp of that because I think Sandbox was starting right around then. And we jumped over to that. Um, the next year we started a fantasy basketball league at school, like a four man league called the Cohocton fantasy basketball league, because we started on the bus ride to where our soccer team was playing in like the state final. Um, that lasted, I was a commissioner and it lasted a month. Um, and I gave everyone their $10 back because it was scoring by hand and for basketball is insane, man. Like there's no way to do it. Like you can't, like you can't. Um, and then baseball, I think in college, you know, when I was about a sophomore, we started a baseball league that was on sandbox. But, uh, so I went over to Italy for like a month and sandbox because I didn't log in sandbox disbanded my team. And I was just like still one of those old school dumb things they did. Uh, and I'm like, why would you do that? You know, it's like, it's like July. We're halfway through the season. Just let the team accrue. Uh, so I, I just angrily didn't play fantasy baseball for another couple seasons, but picked it back up. Obviously. I think my favorite, I think really think my favorite's uh, baseball. Baseball would be perfect. If it was like a 60 day season. I the thing like baseball in August and September. I hate especially fantasy baseball. And I've missed so many deadlines on like 4th of July weekend or like when I'm hanging out with my family for fab and stuff that I just, I've dropped so many leagues. Football's so easy, but it's just like football, you know, there's no edge anymore because everyone knows anything. Baseball's a grind. I say baseball. Baseball's a grind, but it's so rewarding. Like football's just like dumb fun. And I think maybe you'll just like the feel of the fall Sundays. Um, but, you know, I'm working every Sunday, so it's kind of like I don't have that. I can't go out and drink and have fun anymore. I mean, you, I can't just not on Sundays. Do you partake in any sort of fantasy leagues that are non-sports? No, I did. Uh, I tried Mayo's. I didn't even watch The Bachelor, but I tried Mayo's The Bachelor League uh, a couple times and just petered out, lost interest. Um, I think that was about it. I hadn't really. When I was at CBS, we tried to pitch Fantasy Survivor because uh, me and Scott White watched it. We loved it. We talked about it all the time. And, you know, CBS obviously has Survivor. Yeah. Uh, no one wanted to hear it, so that didn't happen. We're like, we can write an advice column and have a game. And like, nah, no thanks. So that was that. Um, but we were I young. Th- I don't even know if we knew how to pitch. I always thought they should do uh, fantasy for Big Brother on CBS because it's in real time. You get three episodes a week, competitions. There's no, it's no spoilers where, like, Survivor, you could, you know, you could know ahead of time who won somehow. But I don't know. CBS is a little yeah. archaic when it comes to things. Weirdly. I mean, we even made that, you know, so many people play now and it'll spark interest and blah, blah, blah. So didn't happen. Such is life. So you mentioned Court TV. What was it like working on that type of programming for a few years? That was awesome. I was there for five years and I, I would probably still be there if like, you know, if it didn't become like in session and then they actually brought it back a few years ago. Um like in a different form, but, uh, it was, my job was to find trials. Like, again, it was research, man. Like I was, I was a trial tracker and I would find trials. Uh, you know, they, they split up the country five different ways for the five of us. 
And, you know, I had like over here, the East coast, a little like Jersey, Maryland, and then somehow had like Wisconsin and, and Minnesota. Um, but it was just like really like voracious reading and like searching. And like, this is when Google news was around. We hit Google news hits coming back at you. So, you know, you'd have like arraigned, like all the keywords and like, you would just read about these trials that no, you know, there was this trial in like Rome, Georgia, like dusty Rome, Georgia, based on a comic book from free comic book day that some kid got that had a, a naked Picasso drawn in there. Um, and like the, you know, the, the whole case was going to be based on the lewdness of it was based on if he was erect or if it was swinging around like in a helicopter kind of circle as he was running. Um, and if, unfortunately it didn't go to trial. We had that one all ready to go. Cause it was like the comic book legal defense fund was involved all these artists were doing like auctions for charity to give like a small comic book shop that accidentally gave away this free comic in a sea of like, a huge box of free comics. This one kid with this one horrible mother picked this one comic, unfortunately, instead of like the one next to it. And it just set off this series of events that they, I mean, they settled before I think it was, I don't remember exactly what happened if there was like a plea or if it was just like dismissed, but uh, that would have been an amazing trial. But that was my job was to find stuff like that. Like, you know, like the big murder trials are easy. You know, Anna Nicole Smith trial was at the time when I was there, easy to find. But like these little ones just have this this intrigue. That was my bread and butter, man. I used to find all these crazy ones and, you know, pitch them and they'd go on TV. And I was like, that's it. That's awesome. <laughs> that's great. Um, so you got to do dabbling in writing and editing, right? And you bounced around a little bit. So I mentioned Wall Street Journal, CBS, AOL, Mediaite, right? So what was that period of time like? Uh, it was cool, man. I mean, it was a little dangerous because once Court TV moved to Atlanta, uh, and became like part of Turner, um, it was, uh, like, you know, I was freelancing basically everywhere. Uh, so, you know, Wall Street Journal was cool because it was pretty regular. It was like permalance. Um, and then I had to build stuff out, you know, with, with everything else. Um, so, you know, AOL, I'd pitch, it was constantly like looking for stories and pitching stories and, you know, getting all over the place for a little bit for Wall Street Journal. I was pitching, you know, like I wrote some cool pop culture stories, about like New Year's glasses in 2011. How, you know, like every other year, like the 2020 is gonna, you know, they're the two zeros and like the 1990s were like, you had the zeros for the nines. But when 2011 hit, you know, like the ones that's not gonna work, you only have that one zero. Um, so, you know, like I did, I did like a two part story on the history of the glasses and then what's gonna happen in 2011 and you know, how all these, anyway, you just, you just try and find cool stories and pitch them to the places where, you know, are appropriate. Um, I did some Weight Watchers for men writing, which was really cool at the time. I had a really good editor who was trying to like, it was, it was fun stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was, I enjoyed it because every day it was kind of like you make your own work. And like, if you find something interesting, maybe there's some way you can do a story on it somewhere. Um, you know, if people like it, they'll do more. So I was always very cognizant. I had my stuff in early. I'd make sure it's right at word count. Like you learn this stuff, I guess, along the way. Like if someone's like making about 1200 words, you don't give them 1600 and be like, Oh, I thought you could shave it down. You know, to your liking, you give them 1200 and like, that's, you know, if they got questions, they'll come back with them. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a fun, it was a fun time. I was in Hoboken. I had a one bedroom. I don't actually like a studio, more like a studio. It's not um, like Joe and my Joe's buddy current who, day situation. He's in Jersey. Yeah. I'm in Dude, it's, I mean, it's a way to do it. Like it was fun. Like, you know, that was my, that was my, my golden years, I guess, just running through Hoboken, having a good time and, you know, trying not to spend as much money uh, because you never know when it's going to stop. And then, uh, you know, writing and researching and doing that stuff during the day. It's cool. I liked it. Yeah. Got a good story. I ran out into a, a certain, uh, we'll say fellow employee, like employee, but 
uh, really works on the carton show. I don't know if you ever heard of him. His name is Cody Decker. Ran into each other at Texas, Arizona a couple of weeks ago during the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. I was out with friends and he was just there. He was hanging out. Um, got to meet him in person. He was great. Uh, Nando, if you know the Bowie building, right? All right. I'm the building somewhere before that. So before the turn. You're talking about between Hoboken and Jersey City? Yes. Okay. I'm on the cusp. Technically, people are like, oh, no, you're Hoboken. But for technicality, we'll say I'm in Jersey City. I'm right outside the Holland Tunnel, though. Not far from your store. Oh, that's yeah. that was my That was my Home Depot. That's where we got our Christmas tree. <laughs> you miss it? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I mean, a little bit. It was great. Like, you'd roll out of bed. You'd have the whole city in front of you. Like, And this is like the gold. I don't know if the golden age of Hoboken, but... It was like before, like all the little bars got chased away and like all the, you know, kind of the mom and pop stores became chains. Like there's no anthropology in Hoboken. Um, it wasn't by any means like rough and tumble. It was just like there were bars like everywhere and everywhere had like Thursday from seven to close three dollar Coors lights. You know, like it was just you could have a good time, man. It was just fun. And then you the McDonald's was right there. That was the one <laughs> that was the one chain you'd hit. But like they've gotten rid of all the all the diners are gone. We had like four diners in Hoboken when I was there, and you know you could just that's three a.m. roll in. Yeah, there was one place that was cash only that was super annoying because then you'd have to go all the way down here to get the cash. And I don't know, it was uh, I do I miss it a little bit. Yeah, a lot of Italian delis have popped up here and there, and uh, on Washington there's all the the big businesses that you could think of, but still with a couple of mom and pop shops. But yeah, that's what I that's what I've heard. A lot of people who were there less. Uh, maybe 10, 15 years before my friends and I moved here, migrated from Staten Island. A lot of people say it's different. So they built it up very nice, though. They said it when I was there, too, though. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, oh, you should have been here 15 years ago. I'm like, all right, dude, whatever. You know, like, still <laughs> kind of fun. Still having a good time. You can still have a good time. Hopefully yeah. you come back here one day. We could hang out. I want to drive through. I stop at uh, Bianca Mano's whenever I can. Good. Yeah, we'll keep in touch. Uh, hopefully I'll be able to see you out like Cody. You know, we'll figure out a place to go out together. Right, Nick? Is that amazing? I, I don't think we're going to see uh, the family man, Nando, out at a bar at Hoboken anytime soon. You're more likely to run no, into Daniel Jones. Out for like dinner or something. do not have to be like a bar. Yeah, Nick, stop judging. Yeah. Yeah, yeah stop judging, Nick. Uh, all right, let's, let's get moved on here. Uh, so from there, we're running the show for Anthem Sports Entertainment, launching Fantasy Network, right? So, well, technically, uh, I didn't launch. It was launched when I joined. You was launched already when you joined. All right, but still, you, you had a little bit of experience doing everything. Uh, you did have a background in, in production and all that. So, uh, explain that time too as well. Uh, it was cool. Like I, had, I so I'd been in Fort Lauderdale for a couple of years and then moved back up. Uh, we actually moved to Staten Island to the to the in law. You know, to what we figured out. So you went from Las Olas Boulevard to Staten Island. Wow. Let me tell you something, man. I never Las Olas was it's Hoboken. Like every like when we moved there, they're like, hey, don't you know, Las Olas, look at these apartments. And I'm like, I'm gonna live on the beach, man. Like, you know where and I just came beach, from? Yeah. Like Las Olas. Yeah, what am I gonna do on Las Olas? Like, you know, live up on the restaurant. Go to the Mexican there's a good Mexican place there. That's about it. El Camino or something, I think. But yeah, that's uh, about, Rocco's tacos. Over- I think it's overrated, Lost All Us Paul. I'd rather be at the end by the beach over there. 
that's it. Like, I, like it's cool. Like, I, I, could, I could see the appeal if, like, you've lived in Fort Lauderdale your whole life and the novelty of the beach isn't right in front of you. You know, like, why wouldn't you live on the beach? Anyway, uh, so, yeah, so Fantasy Sports Night was cool. Like, uh, it was based out of Toronto. Um, the guy who, uh, who started Len Asper is, like, just incredibly nice, wonderful man uh, who really believed in it, like, gave a lot of resources to everybody. Um, Chris Meany was there. Pat Mayo was there. Like, it was, like, if you put that whole thing together, like Frank Stample, who's now at CBS, was there. Mike Florio, who's the NFL Network, was there. Manzo, bro. Corey Parson. We had we did a show with the Manzos. Um, it was like it was stacked. And Maria Marino, uh, who was with SNY and now she's the Action Network. Um, Mayo Meany were up in Canada. Gary and Thorne was there. Like it was like a really like it was a, like the talent that we had there was amazing. Scott Angle, Adam Ronis, you know, did Roto Experts in the morning. Um, and then, uh, you know, just little by little, it just started kind of fading away. You know, they built a studio and a restaurant in New York. Um, uh, Dave Martinez was there, spitting speeds. Still my favorite guy. Ashley Docking, she's one of the best hosts I've ever worked with. Like, I mean, anyway, you keep naming them left and right. But um, yeah, man, it was just, it was, it was fun. Like we, we had like a lot of people and they all just kind of like one by one, everybody left. And uh, now it's known as Sports Grid. Uh, and it's all betting. But Fantasy Sports Network, man, like was was good. Like we had Keith Bullock doing Sunday shows. He was awesome. We started the Keith Bullock show as a spring off of that. Like, you know, he was just go for it for like an hour every Sunday. Uh, you know, we put it out there. It was a really cool place with a lot of good people. So the Canadians, like you go up there, you know, there's the office there. They so I had to stay there for we were doing shows for DraftKings, and I was there for like four or five days a week. You know, they gave me I had an apartment up in like Toronto for for football season, basically. I'd fly in, go to work, sleep, repeat. Um, but we'd be able to fly people in as guests for the show once a week. So, like, we'd have Salfino, uh, Jake Seeley. Well, Jake Jake worked for Fantasy Sports Network. You know, um, Vaccaro came, Esser came. Like, you know, you'd have people come up for, like, four or five days, do the show, um, and then they'd go home. But it was just, like, a fun, you know, when you start to get a little homesick, you're like, oh, Esser's coming on Monday. So that was cool. Um, but yeah, it was a good, it was a good experience, man. Len Asper, he's gone on to like, he's got the fight network. He bought HDNet from, uh, Mark Cuban and access TV from Mark Cuban. So I think Steve Harvey is somehow on his board now. Like it's, it's cool. Like he's still doing his thing. It's just fantasy got spun off into sports grid. He doesn't have much to do with it anymore. Were you there during the period when Craig Carton came over for a few months? Yeah. Yeah, I was there. I was head of, I had a content during the Carton time. I mean, it's Carton. What you see is what you get, I guess. Behind the scenes, uh, I would say he's a very, he's very thoughtful uh, with the staff. Yeah, always, always um, like he treated the staff really stuff. well. That was it, man. Like he's, I mean, like you see him on screen, and you're like this guy. But then, like you see, you know, he comes down to the control room, and he's like, "Hey, everyone, I brought you all some Chinese food." You know what I mean? Like it was just, uh, he's a, uh, I don't know. Like you could, you know, you learn a little bit of something from everybody. Carton, I think, like some of these, you know, guys in the control room, you know, if they ever get on air or whatever, they ever get big, you do, you, you take, you remember that, like, oh, this guy was great, you know, he came down, he brought, you know, you could do that. So, like, I think that was, uh, I think it was cool, like some teachable moments from Craig Carton there, like maybe in I'm sure he wasn't, you know, there's no ulterior motive. You're just being a nice guy, bringing people food. Yeah, so, when I when I interned WFAN, he always got me and the staff breakfast, which was great, and. Last summer, was playing softball with his son at South Beach in Staten Island. He brought the whole team Ralph's Ices. Surprised he's out the game, but 
he's a he's a nice guy you know joe and him have a nice relationship as well but yeah it was a crazy time but he came on the show and uh you know fantasy fantasy uh sports network was was crazy back then and now it's now everything's all about the the sports betting so we'll uh we'll touch more on that in a little bit but how were you then approached to launch and manage the athletics fantasy sports betting verticals? Um, it was cool. Like, uh, so my buddy Serge, who uh, Serge Gonzalez, he's the NBA editor now, but we worked together at CBS uh, down in Florida. We we're buddies. Um, he, uh, they were starting fantasy, and he suggested me to the guy who was hiring for fantasy. Uh, and so I met with him. I had lunch with him. Um, and I guess we hit it off, and he's like, "All right, cool." Like, you know. Let's do it. So we built the staff. Uh, he already had a couple of people he was bringing in anyway. I think Anita Marks uh, and Jake Seeley were two people that he had like ready to, to sign up anyway outside of me. Um, and then, you know, we just started building, like, you know, you start to think like, how do you want to build a fantasy section? And like, do you know, you know, especially when someone has to pay for, it, right? Like you're going to be judging how many subscribers you bring in and how happy the subscribers are and if they renew and everything. And so you've got to think like, I got to give you something that not everybody has. You know, this can't be your typical, like, you know, here's this stuff, all, you know, everyone writing about kind of like, here's my advice. So, you know, Emery Hunt, one of my favorite people in the world, he's one of the first guys I asked. I'm like, you want like, you do something that's very unique and very smart and very deep and that I love. And uh, so we got him to write a, like a scouting column every week. Um, David Gano is one of the funniest guys I've ever met in my life. And he just has a style. Brought him on. Christopher Caro never written before, you know, but as an NFFC hall of famer, one more money than, you know, most everybody in the high stakes world. I'm like, just write it and we'll edit it. And he's like, yeah, sure. Okay. So, you know, one by one, we just kind of brought on these people who we thought, you know, as you go along and as you see like what this section is, Renee Miller, neuroscientist talks about biases, you know, how, how your brain can fool you. Like after, you know, you've done all this work, but there's this novelty bias where like this guy had, you know, sticks in your mind because he's something new and shiny. And, you know, you want to, it's like, we wanted to build something where it was just like really unique and really cool and a little bit different. But after you read it, you're like, that was really smart. Michael Salfino is like the king of that. So we put the group together, uh, launched it. It did really well. You know, then we launched baseball, uh, same kind of idea. Like who can we bring in? Who's going to be like a little different, worthy of your dollar, you know, baseball, you can't get as specialized, but now we have like Greg Jewett doing just relief pitchers. Um, yeah. Al Melchior doing the waiver wire, like stuff like that. Is so we just kind of like, it's not exactly specialized, but it's 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 cool, smart stuff. Um, did fantasy hockey, brought Meanie back around. I knew him from fantasy. I'm like, come do the waiver wire column for us. And he did. Uh, and then Shayna, who was doing just regular stats for NHL, we read her stuff and we we're like, this is fantasy, really. Like what you're writing is like a perfect fantasy column. And at first she was like, I don't know, but like, I'll give it a try. And now she's one fantasy hockey writer of the year, two years in a row. Um, and then basketball, we we're like, I don't know. Like basketball is an odd one to try and figure out. We got this email randomly, I think like a year before from Eric Wong, who's Roto Evil. Um, and again, he's like, we saw how well Vaccaro did um, in terms of writing and people like loving it in the comments. And like for what Vaccaro is for NFFC, like, you know, he won a lot of money. He's a Hall of Famer. He's close to the top. Eric Wong is like the greatest fantasy basketball player in the entire universe. Like you can't, I don't think you can test that. Like he is like, he has won more than anyone. Like he's won more main events than anyone. Um, and so we brought him in, but he was already a great writer. Like his stuff is amazing. I don't know how he hasn't won awards like left and right, but he's amazing. Um, so yeah, so brought him in and basically like, we just kind of follow the same thing. Every time we'd launch like a fantasy sport or whatever, it would just be like, 
who can we bring in? Who do we like? Like we're constantly on Reddit and Twitter looking for like new exciting writers and stuff, but who can we bring in that's just gonna make someone like be like, yeah, that's worth that's worth it. So that's kind of how we built it. Me and Funston. So I know you're always looking ahead here. Any thoughts so far? There were some reports that WWE is trying to make their fantasy sports betting legal. Have you thought ahead as to how you're going to do that vertical? I think <laughs> Joe here is a great writer. He'd be excellent for that down the road. No, we did like for WrestleMania this year, actually, the culture section runs it. Um, we I think we did like 15 wrestling columns right around WrestleMania. Like goods, like we had some real, like like Richard Deitch wrote like uh, Bobby Rain Heenan story that was amazing. Uh, we did the player props. So for Super Bowl, our player props printout sheet that Funston did did really well. Uh, we're like, why don't we just try that again for WrestleMania? That's like where people get together and watch it together right. with friends and stuff. So you know, you get the idea of printing it out and whatever did really well. Um, I don't think we're gonna do betting on wrestling, man. Like we've tried that the couple couple years before we tried it. Like you know, here's you know, here are the odds. Here are our best bets. It didn't really hit. So if the audience isn't there, man, like I don't think we're gonna fantasy wrestling, I don't think would hit. But uh yeah, betting, I don't think people I don't know, man. I don't think either they don't want to come to the athletic for it or they don't want it at all. I can't figure out which one it is, but either way, not good for us. No matter which way you slice it. Logistically, I don't know how it's gonna work. It's scripted entertainment. So I think from the get-go, people from the outside are looking in. Their first question is, how do you bet on wrestling? Right. But at least like if you create a fantasy system, and I actually did this with my friend a couple of years ago, we drew out like a, an entire system and, and a way of scoring and a way of like integrating it uh, with certain shows, how the rosters are different, certain pay-per-views, certain match types and stuff like that, certain ways like matches finish, right? So you can draw up a fantasy system that works for wrestling, but betting on it, like I just, again, I don't know if, it, if it'll ever gain any traction. Look, they're smart. And I mean, they've proven to be smart over and over and over again. I'm sure they have a plan that's like well thought out and is, you know, pretty airtight. Um, so I'd love to see what it is. Like, I've got faith that they have some pretty good ideas on how they can make it work. Um, but either way, like, even if it works great, I still don't think people want advice on it, man. I think, like, if you're a wrestling fan, you just want to read about wrestling. Like, you don't want to, I don't know who's going to read, like, here this week's odds for Raw uh, and our best bets. I don't know. I don't know if it'll hit. No, I, I totally agree. And I think Nick agrees too. We're, we're huge wrestling fans. So if there's anybody who you go to for advice about that, or, you know, we're always here. I stopped WrestleMania four. I think it was my last my four into wrestling. It's gotten good recently. Uh, that's what I hear. Yeah. No, it's, it's gotten real good the last couple of years. There's depth to the roster now. So if you ever want to throw it on on a Monday or Friday, if you're home, uh, again, you can come to Nick and we'll talk to, uh, you about that maybe get you back up to speed with it <laughs> I, got a lot, I got a lot to pick back up man so you mentioned him before one person in particular uh our man Corey parson yeah now he is so funny he's so different unique to his own you know what i'm saying you know, like what, I'm saying. You know what i'm saying uh but ultimately uh started doing shows with him at various networks and uh at the beginning of this run here uh, most recently with Nick and I working for the Better Sports Network, we got to watch your show at the beginning there. So uh, describe meeting him, getting to know him a little bit after meeting for him the first time and and getting to work with him in that capacity. Uh, so I met Corey through the Roto Experts in the morning. Like I was, I was, man, I think I was working at CBS. 
It might have been before CBS, actually. Um, anyway, so, uh, you know, Roto Experts was out of, of uh, 1221 Avenue of the Americas in the Sirius XM building. And since I was like, I'm in like, you know, working in New York, living in Hoboken, I'm like, it's pretty easy for me to come in. Like, they asked me to call in a bunch. I'm like, I can just come in if that's easier. Because um, I was doing, I forget what, like, there was a public radio. I know this is like a little roundabout way, but I just want to give the full context. Anyway, offer to come in. Um, and like, I meet, you know, Corey's a producer and I meet him. And like, I had known Angle and Ronas for a while. Uh, and some of the, like the best things about them are just the way you just pick them apart. Like, you know, everyone's joking with everyone, but like just making fun of them is just so much fun. And the way Corey jumped in, I remember just like marveling, like just the way he got him, like just the things he picked up on these little things. And like, I'm like, I would, that's a funny, that's, uh, that's awesome. Um, you know, so the more I did it, the more, you know, Corey's all, oh, let's hang out or whatever. So I think, we, I don't know, we just hit it off. Um, and then when I, when I came to fantasy sports network, Tony Sincata and I did the, I think Roto Experts went from six to nine. We went from nine to 10 and Corey was our producer. And I'm like, Corey's got to be like part of the show. Like I'm a producer, but like he's co-host basically. And so that was it. Like I'd come in, me and Corey were in the room hanging out. You know, Tony was coming through a, a landline. Um, but it was just like, a, it was awesome. Like it was, I mean, he's, he's got timing and he like, you can, I don't know, like if this sound, like you just see his brain, you can see the gears going like a split second ahead of everybody else. And that's what I think is what he does. Best. Like he just, it's almost so like he's like, just like sponging it in and living in this conversation you're having. And that allows him to like, come up with some stuff that is just like some of the funniest stuff you'll ever hear. Um, I'll tell you when to listen, Ashley docking, Corey Parson are the two best hosts I've ever worked with. Right. Like they are. And Chris Meany is good too, but like these, like Corey Parson just like, moves the show along and pushes the show in a direction that like either it needs to go in or he didn't realize it was going in or I don't know, man. It's just like, he's, it's like what I imagine like Mozart's brain would work like when he's composing something. It's like Corey composes a show. Um, but yeah, I would like anywhere anyone could catch Corey Parson, like talking, just do it. I mean, I saw like Lincoln center. We would wear like the show would be the nine to 10 show. It was over at 10, obviously. So, you know, by the time we finish up, he does clips. We It's 11, and we're like, let's go to a bar. You know, like, we've been up since, like, 5, 4 in the morning. So, let's, you know, this is our this is our 3 o'clock. And we would just hang out for hours. It was fun. And, but, like, he's, a, he's awesome, man. He's my favorite. The only reason I did this show was because it was with Corey. That's it. Like, I didn't, you know, don't have time in the day. Nick knows trying to get me on here. Like, it's just like conflict all over the place. Like, my calendar is, like, just constant blocks of meetings but like they're like you can do the show with Corey. i'm like yeah i'm in 100 there you go so something from your show and just all your time and you mentioned a few times already here is you're a big trading cards collector so what's your favorite sport to collect cards for and when did you start collecting cards um i started when i was a kid like everybody else like i think you know got some packs when i was a little kid and it was just like cool um, the first one I remember is 84, I think 87 was like the iconic one. Um, again, man, like kind of like wrestling that you grow out of it a little bit. It gets to be too expensive. It's too hard to keep track of. I think I did just stop like in some of the designs. Um, anyway, I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, I feel like I'm a better non-sport collector than anything. Actually. Uh, the last, like, I just, I just got in on a Disney, this new Disney set that's out, uh, like this Disney Kakawow from China set that came out. Uh, I, I find it cool. You know what I mean? Like there are some chase cards you can get. Like it's all these iconic Disney characters. 
I don't know, like a Disney adult kind of thing, but it's kind of like, oh, I can get a card of Dumbo. I think that's kind of cool. Um, yeah, Garbage Pail Kids I love. Uh, like the the off the beaten path stuff, like the holiday packs. Uh, I was actually just digging around, pulling out this microphone because I haven't used it since I moved. Um, and in the bag, I found like all these cards that I like jammed in there, I guess, from when I was doing the show. And I found, I'm going to do this later. I found my two packs of Tops Holiday. And then I found this ridiculous card that I bought from Leaf. Uh, I don't even know why I did it. It's a pickleball player. Oh, <laughs> I think she's like number two, Catherine Parento. This card's worth like a hundred something dollars now. So, somehow. I don't know why. But anyway, like, yeah, just like doing regular baseball cards is fine. But like, if you can get the holiday ones and have the holiday designs, I, I don't know why my brain just works that way. I get a kick out of it. Did you so. get into like Pokemon or Showdown cards at all back in the day? Oh, never got into it i was yeah i was pogs like that was i was still too i was too old for that like my little brothers and my little sister were into it and i never got into it so i was gonna ask you quick now that everything in the digital sphere is you know with the nfts and stuff and um do actual physical cards still relatively retain value over time yeah yeah absolutely uh in fact like nfts just kind of came and flamed out like i know like uh, I had some tops ones that just are, you know, pointless now. Like all, like, it seems like all the sets that showed up that were NFTs went away, you know, like, cause I don't know, man, I think, I think people just like holding them. They're like, if you look at it at a certain angle, it's like, oh, that's, you know, a beautiful picture. It's almost like a work of art. And then when you flip through them and like, I was going through flipping through things in a box. I'm like, man, I remember when I bought this one, like, you know, it was 10 years ago. I was doing this. I bought it because of that. Um, I think it's they make for a nice trip down memory lane, help jog your memories a lot. You can't do that with the NFTs. Like they're so spread out. I don't even know where like during that whole boom, I might have bought like 20 like NFTs. And like nothing crazy. They you know, like 10 bucks each, whatever. But I don't know where they are. Like I, I don't even remember what sites they're on at this point. So if I ever wanted to find them, I don't even think, I don't know if I can consolidate them. They're just out there. Right. But I know all my stuff is in a box right now in a closet. So they're floating through that's, the internet space. That's it, man. I mean, like I got like Godzilla right next to you. Yeah, exactly. I can reach out and I can grab my Catherine Parento card and just be like, why did I buy this? But I did. <laughs> what is your favorite sport? Uh, in terms of uh, what, like playing, collecting, anything? Anything, enjoying in general. I don't know, man. I don't, I don't even know anymore. It used to be baseball. For a little while, it was football. I was a big basketball fan, like in my teens. Um, cause growing up in the dome, like SU, like if you could take me back to SU, like the dome basketball, that was it. That was like when I was, I loved it right now. I'd probably say baseball, I guess, I guess. What What are the know. pro teams that people root for up, up there in Syracuse? Uh, Bills, Giants. I grew up a Giants fan. My father's from New Jersey. So I got into the, you know, all his stuff, but definitely the Yankees used to be the Blue Jays, uh, because we had their triple A team, but now we have the Mets triple A team. But I think a bunch of people are just on the Yankees anyway. Uh, hockey, I have no idea. And basketball, I don't know if anyone cares. We used to have a pro team like in the 40s in Syracuse. Um, I guess people are Knicks fans generally. Well, but yeah. The, it's, you know, the Carmelo Anthony fans. That's, right, that's it. The Jim like I'm in the Mellow Championship. SU, SU is our, our pro team, basically. Because football and basketball, they're always good. Um, you know go back 20 years when like they were both like you know, the Paul Pasqualoni era when they were just going like nine and two every year. Um, and obviously Bayheim was winning 20 games. So, 
you had no reason. You don't need to go to the pros. You know, we had this SU that was just great, like, you know, for seven months of the year. So that was awesome. I miss it. <laughs> so without getting yourself in trouble here, do you think yeah. the sports betting and fantasy market is oversaturated right now? How do you kind of see things playing out? You've always been someone who could look ahead because you can't listen to the radio. You can't watch TV. You can't look at anything online without seeing some sort of ad for a sports betting going on right now. My personal viewpoint is there's too many of them right now. And ultimately they're all going to merge together and there's only going to be one or two top dogs left. But how do you see this playing out right now? I think it's look, man, going back to history, this is DFS. This is like 2014 all over again, 2013, 2014. You had these companies with a ton of money and like, you know, like, you know, everyone knows it's DraftKings and FanDuel, you know, we talk DFS, but I mean, like, Back then, there was like there were 11, 12, 13, you know, fantasy aces. There were all these DFS companies bouncing around. And, you know, eventually it all, you know, the advertising dollars dried up when they got all the customers, the, when the customer acquisition spend was over. Um, I think it's just going to, it's, it's cyclical, man. It's just going to happen again. And you're right. Like it's going to, it's going to kind of merge, dry up, whatever you want to call it. And you'll be left with like some behemoths. I don't know which ones are going to win out. Like every day there's, you know, you read, um, Elliers and Krajic. I don't even know how to pronounce it, but you get the email from them and like they have this report, like who's up, who's down this week. And it's someone different all the time and they're testing apps. And they're like, this app is better, you know, out of nowhere. Um, so I don't know how it's going to go actually. I don't know who's going to end up on top, but yeah, oversaturation. I mean, I'm not the kind of guy who signs up for the thousand dollar risk-free, you know, uh, take it. Oh, if I do this at this one and then I bet over at that one, then, you know, I'll fit it. I like, I don't have the time for that. Um, you know, I just want to go somewhere that's easy to use on my phone, loads all the time, doesn't keep asking for my location. Um, you know what I mean? And I found a couple that I'm comfortable with and I hope they win and, st and stick around because I just like the ease of the app on my phone. If I just want to go put a seven team football parlay in and it's very easy for me to hit the teams and then hit the bet slip, that's all I want. Right. And so I think that like a lot of people are going to figure out like once the acquisition and the bonuses dry up, they're just going to go, you know, the best app. And whoever's good, I would, I would keep an eye on who has the best app because I think that's going to win at the end of the day. All right, definitely some good insight there because a lot of these apps are popping up now, giving out these free plays and stuff. But when people win, like they're not going to be able to pay them out at a certain point because the money's going to dry up. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. We appreciate your insight in there for sure. Now, in your life or your career, what would you say is your you know I'm right moment? So even by that, it's a time or place where you wanted to do something you asked somebody for advice. They said, don't do that. That's an awful idea. And you were like, you know what? I'm going to do it anyway. And ultimately, you will see why it is that I'm right. Um, Man, that's, uh, you know, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus who told me I was wrong about stuff. So, <laughs> you know, here's, here's an interesting one. We found a guy on Reddit. Um, this is about two, when we launched the betting section. This is a recent one. I'm sure there's more. This guy on Reddit was like writing this really in-depth, really good dart stuff. Um, like amazing dart stuff. And you read it and you're like, man, this, like, this guy's so deep and knows his darts. And so I watched for like a few weeks and he was right. Like he was winning. Like he was very right about a lot of stuff. And so I'm like, I'd like to, you know, obviously I would like some money in the budget to bring in this guy to write about darts. Um, and like, come on, darts, really? Um, I'm like, I think, you know, like we found like throughout our history, if there's a niche kind of thing, 
people will come because it doesn't get the coverage. Like for trading cards, we write about trading cards. Those stories do amazing because there aren't a lot of like places writing, you know, smart, informative trading card stories. Um, and so I'm like, I think darts do that. I think darts could do that. Like, especially like the person who's looking to bet on something expert level, cut through the noise. Cause when you read this guy's first two paragraphs, which is before you hit the paywall on the athletic, really, you're like, this guy, well, I want to read like, this guy knows exactly what he's talking about. Like throwing out nickname, you know, Iceman, like all this stuff. So finally, like I'm, you know, it was just kind of like, go ahead. You know, here's some money. Just go ahead. Let's see what happens. And his first column went nuts, like bananas. And so that was, I think that was my, you know, I'm right. Like, is that sometimes the niche, you know, you, you, you feel that need. You're going to have people come like who, who have been underserved. Um, you just got to pick the right one and the right person to do it. But I think like, that's, a, you know, it's not always going to be football waiver wire. You know, like you can max out on that. And like you said, it's oversaturated. Everyone's writing a football waiver wire. And we're lucky to have Jake because he's amazing at it. And he does it in a way that's different than anybody else. But if you start looking at the niche stuff that, you know, could have an audience if done correctly, it works. And I think the darts one proved that. And so we had darts until the guy got too busy and couldn't do darts anymore. But I mean, like we had a good run with darts. Yeah, How about that? Yeah, I know, right. Based on all your uh, your previous work experiences, your research experience, uh, you're always looking to find things that are interesting and intriguing. So, um, no, it makes perfect sense. You know, you could totally see something like that, maybe with something else working for you guys in the future. Um, I'm also into very interesting and intriguing things. And uh, uh, my last question before I let you go, uh, before we let you go, Nando, is... Uh, I'm into astrology, All so right. I always create a Rolodex of the astrology signs of all of our guests. Now, I have to ask you what yours is, uh, and do you think you relate to it in any way? Uh, yeah, I'm a Taurus, uh, and it's actually weird. Like my So Ferdinand is my, you know, Ferdinand the bull, and it's, you know, oh. I guess you, yeah, I've been called stubborn and hard-headed, and uh yeah, I've been, I've been like, you know, Bull has kind of followed me around. Uh, a theme pops up a lot in my life. So I thought it was kind of interesting. Tauruses like to eat, too. But there you go. Lee's Tavern. Anner Bagels. <laughs> Donut how World. A, how, about a fantasy, how about a fantasy column where someone writes how their Zodiac sign is going to impact their performance any given Sunday? Let me tell you something. There's a woman named Andrea Malice. Uh, I believe her Twitter handle is Virgo in service. Um, we found her during fantasy land when we were looking for like ways to, you know, what's, what's the way we can get an edge, whatever, whatever she did uh, charts for us on like five guys, but you have to get like really specific. Like I think you have to, for her, like you have to find like the, the time of birth. Right. Um, she charted out and did a read. So when I went to CBS, like, you know, we, we they never had the video show. So we, we started the video show and I'm like, I would like to get Andrea Malice on this show. She came on. She was awesome again. Um, I don't know why we haven't used her at the athletic yet. I think I just like I keep forgetting like when the season comes around, like, oh, we should get Andrew Mallet. Like, come on, man. Like, as part of the draft kit. Um, so uh check her out because she's she's a sports fan. She grew up uh, I think in Queens and now she lives out in the Bay area. So she's a Mets fan, she's a Giants fan. She does weekly appearances on someone's show. Anyway, it exists and she's awesome. You should check her out. If you're really into it, like you should check her out. Like she's even if it's just like to, to tweet some stuff at her and say, hey, you know, like I, what you're doing is pretty cool. Yeah, it looks like she's, we got uh, to have her on. Dude, she, you got to have her on. She's probably fantastic. 
<laughs> Yo, she's awesome. Like, she's a good guest. She's a wonderful person. Like, she's really sweet and nice. Uh, but like, again, you meet her and you're like, this woman is an expert in her field. Like, this is super deep knowledge here. So theoretically, all astrology is, in the most basic terms, is energy cycles. So if everybody is born at a different time, different place, right, has different energy cycles, life has ups, life has downs, correct? So based on where you play, what team you play for, the year it is, right, you'll either have good year or not so good year, right? So kind of flows the same way. Now, a lot of people aren't totally crazy about it, but um, I've never explained it like this on the podcast. So this is good for a future episode. Think of astrology as energy cycles. Well, she, I mean, like, right. So like Joe Adele right now, we're doing the show is going nuts, right? He's had like six homers in six games. She would tweet something like Joe Adele, uh, Sagittarius, uh, Uranus in transit, which means, you know, like whatever, you know, 20, age 27, you know, Uranus in transit. So, you know, like stuff like whatever's happening, like with his chart, yeah. That is like, this is what's supposed to, you know, this is supposed to be happening. It's at a time of major change for him or like something like that. You're pretty right. Aries trining Sagittarius. I know all this crap. She, that's, I mean, but like, she will like, like I've retweeted a bunch of that stuff because I find it fascinating. Like she's sure. like, this guy's doing this right now. And here's right. the reason why astrologically, yeah. like no one does what she does. It's unique and she's smart. You know, I like that. Stuff. Now we got to have her on Nick. You should hit her up. I bet she come on. Awesome. Love that. Tell her we're pals. Yes, we will. We will. No, no, we will. Nanda, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. We know no, I'm sorry it took so long. I'm, you know, oh, it's okay. Geez. Finally, we're able to pin you down, but we know you're a busy guy. We're going to get you going. But uh, what we do here is we always give our guests the last word. So if there's anything else you would like to share, if there's anything else you would like to promote, uh, we've had so much fun with you. Hopefully, we could do something again in the future, hopefully sometime in person. Maybe we go to Lee's Tavern. But uh, anyway, like I said, you give the last words out. So if there's anything else you would like to say, by all means, go ahead. Thanks again. We appreciate it. Invest in pickleball cards. Okay. Have you played pickleball, Nana? <laughs> no. Uh, no. Yeah. But I feel like I should. I feel like I'd be good at it. It's it's very hard to get on a court though because they're always taken. But it is fun. Uh, I played a few times. But shame. It's a shame. All right, Nanda, we appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time. That's going to do it here for this episode. Uh, you know I'm right for our very special guest, Nanda Defino, for my co-host Joe Calabrese. I'm Nick Durst, and this has been you. No. Ah. Uh, all right.